are delighted that you've joined us for an hour of inspirational music on Songs of Praise. took six days and created earth and moon and stars and sun on the seventh day he rested from the work that he had done then he blessed it made it holy as a gift for every man to remind us where we came from and just how
forsaken and forgotten, desecrated and profane. But the sacred fourth commandment is still valid and unchanged. Hear the Father gently calling, if you love me, keep each one, not for merit or salvation. But because you love my son, holy day, purified, set apart, sanctified, enter into joy divine in its temple made of time. You will find joy divine in this temple made.
Sing praises to Yahweh, who dwells in Zion, and declare among the people what He has done. Psalm 9.11 Like a ray of sun on a cloudy day Came the Father's arms
Stay tuned to 3ABN Australia Radio for more inspirational music.
This is Songs of Praise, a message in music to draw you closer to God.
Songs of Praise is a production of 3ABN Australia Radio. Join us next time for more inspirational music. Today, in 3ABN Australia Radio's book reading, we are continuing Banish the Night by the late missionary pilot and pastor Len Barnard, read by Clive Nash. The book is set in Papua New Guinea and is broadcast with the kind permission of Pacific Press and is available in print and digital editions online. Continuing Chapter 5, Kai While visiting the patient the following morning, I noticed a lad looking intently at her father. He was the interpreter who had accompanied the evangelist to Wise Village. I asked him why he was so interested in PM's father. He replied excitedly, This fella man tussle make him big pella trouble, time me fella visit him village belong him. This is the very man who made the big trouble when we visited his village. From this time on, PM and her father were faithful worshippers of the colony, and upon returning to their village, they proclaimed the gospel to their friends. Thus, the medical ministry softened a hard heart and helped further Christianity in Wise Village. While I was sitting in my office one day, Kai entered with a worried look on his face. Sir, me got lick-lick talk. Sir, I have a few words to say. I listened while he pleaded for permission to return to his village with a picture roll to tell his people of God's salvation. But I knew that his village, 14 miles distant, was situated on a small rise in the middle of a swamp and that to reach it meant two arduous hours of wading through a filthy, mosquito-infested quagmire. I reminded Kai of his physical condition. Although the disease had been arrested... It had left his feet partly paralysed, deformed and ulcerated, his hands crippled and almost useless. Further, I told Kai that although he was now baptised, God would not expect him to start evangelistic work until he was much improved in health, that his first duty was to stay at the colony and continue taking treatment. But Kai was undaunted. Looking me boldly in the eye, his voice full of conviction, he replied, Leg belong me no good, hand belong me no good, skin belong me no good, tussle neck belong me good fella. In other words, though his hands, feet and skin were not in good condition, his voice was strong. Therefore he could tell his people of God's love while God would care for him. I could not dampen his zeal, and the following day he was fitted with new sandals and given bandages, dressings and medicine. Before he set out, we commended him to our compassionate Saviour, who, I feel certain, has special regard for handsome-eyed patients. Unsteady in gait, but firm in purpose, Kai said, Time me finish him house, Loto me like you come tambu im. When I finish building a church, I want you to come and dedicate it. He started the long trudge to his village. Shortly after, Pastor Martin sent a man to help Kai, and a few weeks later Kai sent word that the church had been completed. He intimated that one of his toes was in bad condition, requesting that I bring instrument to amputate it. I hoped that only minor attention would be required. On Friday, Pastor Martin, 
Mr. Aveling and I began walking through the filthy swamp. The water and mud sometimes reached our knees. At one place we were forced to crawl between the mud and low undergrowth. But how could we complain after the crippled Kai had gone so willingly before? The Sabbath morning sun splashed light on the surrounding scene. The mountains, rising steeply to 13,000 feet, formed a velvety purple backdrop to the neat house of worship, decorated with a profusion of bush flowers, including exquisite orchids. After the dedication service conducted by Pastor Martin, the eight leaders of the local clans arose while the chief told us that they were grateful for the true God, who meant much more to them than Kerr, and that they therefore wanted to surrender their sacred stones. They ceremoniously brought them to the altar, where they were left, inert and impotent, a continual reminder of the tribe's repudiation of paganism. Following this service, I examined Kai's offending toe. I learned that as he was eager to assist with the construction of the church, Kai had struggled up the nearby mountain to obtain timber. Ignoring the acute pain and the ugly appearance of his toe, he had tied vines to poles and pulled them one at a time as he slid downhill. The toe had become gangrenous, therefore it had to be removed. I told Kai that for the operation he would have to be carried to Togaba. Tasso, who can turn him talk suppose me go? God enough along look out him me suppose me stop. Who will act as interpreter if I leave? God is able to care for me if I stay. I told Kai that his primary duty was to get well, but he resisted my advice so strongly, I finally relented and decided to operate in the village, knowing that the God in whom he trusted so implicitly would help him. A crude table of poles prepared, Kai was helped on top and given an injection of morphine. In this operating room... The sky was the ceiling, dirt was the floor, and half-naked bodies the walls. The troublesome member of Kai's left foot was cut away, and in a few days the wound healed perfectly. Within four months, Kai and his helper raised up a church of 110 worshippers, of whom 32 were preparing for baptism. The local chief forbade the worship of stones in his area and ordered everything prepared for the Kerr Sing Sing destroyed. Sometime later, the indefatigable Kai walked three hours to Kulai village, where some of his relatives lived. They had not yet heard of the true God. He gathered the people and talked to them from mid-morning till dusk, imploring them to depart from the worship of cold stones that can neither speak nor see nor hear. After sunset, the men built a large bonfire around which they gathered and requested the evangelist to tell them more of the wonderful story. Using the three picture rolls over and over again, Kai continued talking till dawn. Breakfast over, Kai wearily lay down to sleep, but the chief waked him, saying he wanted to hear more. Delighted at the receptiveness of his listeners, Kai roused himself and resumed his oration. About midday, the evangelist from his village arrived, and most readily Kai handed over the talking to him. On another occasion, a relative of Kai's was in childbirth for several days. Pigs were killed by the heathen relatives to placate Kerr, but to no avail. 
Early on the fourth day, it was obvious that the woman's condition was critical. So the midwife, whose lack of knowledge was matched only by her incredible filth, decided to call the witch doctor. Upon his arrival with his ceremonial spear and charms, he stated the price of his services, one female pig and several fowls. After lengthy incantations with his charms and loud, unintelligible cries, he thrust his spear repeatedly into the ground. When it appeared to be stuck firmly and resisted any attempt to pull it out, the witch doctor indicated that the spirit was holding it and giving him a message. According to the witch doctor, the spirit demanded that the favourite dog of the family be killed, its blood offered to Kerr and its flesh eaten. Filled with desperate grief, the family performed the mournful task. But this remedy also proved futile, and the woman's life continued to ebb. Later in the afternoon, one of the women suggested they call Kai. Much had been heard of his new god, and although they did not believe in him, they reasoned that there would be no harm in trying his power. It was plain that the woman would die in a few hours, unless help superior to Kerr's came quickly. So the request was sent. Kai readily responded. Taking his treasured Bible, although he could not read, he waded through the intervening half-mile of quagmire. Arriving at the dirty hut, he dismissed the heathen midwife and the mourners, and entered. Tenderly, Kai urged the dying woman to believe in Jesus, who loved her so deeply that he died for her. In her desperation, she accepted this last ray of hope. Had not the blood of pigs and even of her pet dog failed to help? Perhaps the blood of this man Jesus was the answer. Kai sang, Jesus loves me, this I know, and prayed a simple prayer requesting help if it would bring glory to God's name. The woman was sleeping when Kai left the hut. It was cold and dark outside, so he grasped a burning stick from the fire, which he waved to keep the tip glowing so that he could find his way home. But before he arrived, he heard the cry echo across the marsh. Mary Crary im any finish. God belongs seven day, im he strong too much. The woman has given birth to the child. The God of the Seventh-day Adventists is very strong. Chapter 6 Intertribal Warfare For six years I directed the treatment of lepers at Togaba. We admitted 850 patients and discharged 400. Thus, when transferred to the Amora Mission, stationed in 1955, I handed over to Dr. Roy O. Yeats 450 patients. The doctor and his wife both gave loving and unstinting service during the years they spent there and at the Sopaz Hospital. At Amora, on the eastern extremity of the highlands, we found large villages, a small mission hospital and a school. Over the mountains behind the mission, one of my devoted assistants, Lamai, ranged in search of those who would accept a better way of life. At Byra, high on a ridge, we found willing listeners. Later accompanying him on a visit there, I found our journey to be the usual test of physical endurance, crossing high mountains, grassy valleys and swift rivers. At one point, a bridge had been cut by a hostile group during tribal fighting. Heavy rain in the mountains had made the stream a roaring torrent. To go forward was impossible, 
it was too late to return home. Energetically, the carriers applied tomahawks to the base of a tall casuarina tree, which we hoped to use as a bridge. The tree trembled, hesitated, and finally fell across the stream to the far bank. We eyed it cautiously before venturing across. Although the log vibrated as the swirling water tugged at its branches, we were all able to scramble across. The final ascent was precipitous, but the sun was low and had lost its piercing heat. Soon we reached the ridge and walked along it toward Byra village. Below us roared the river. Above rose yet higher peaks. The sun was setting in golden splendour, and as we entered the village and were greeted with spontaneous delight, all seemed at peace. That evening, as the whole village flocked to worship, I was surprised to hear them lustily sing simple choruses Lamai had taught them. In the morning the sick gathered. Many had nagging teeth to be extracted, and one even had a cyst to be removed from the ear under local anaesthetic. Injections and tablets were given, dressings fastened, and prayers offered for God's healing balm. During the afternoon, friendly but nervous men from the nearby village of Nimbairo sorted up armed with fighting bows and arrows. They listened to the Bible stories, and, still holding their weapons for the first time, bowed their heads. Following worship, as I sat outside my hut listening to the conversation of the people, I saw from the height of this ridge the deep valley that dropped more than a thousand feet and then zoomed up to the majestic heights of Mount Peori, 12,000 feet. This was one of those rare nights when the mountains were clear and the sunset pinks lingered long on the lofty heights. The two tribes sat tensely apart but gradually relaxed as they talked. First one chief rose, then the other, both told how they had lived in fear of each other for as long as their forefathers could remember. They were afraid to go hunting unless in armed groups. Their women feared to go to their gardens unless protected by their husbands. Every night they lived in dread of attack. Members of one tribe were continually poisoning members of the other in feudal paybacks. But this day their hearts had been touched by the God of heaven who loves them and wants them to love each other. Would we send them a missionary, they asked, one who would treat their illnesses and teach them how to love instead of hate? To be continued. Tune in again next week for the next episode of Banish the Night, written by Len Barnard and read by Clive Nash. Let's listen to William Ackland as he shares a psalm from his paraphrase of the Bible called The Gift. David also wrote Psalm 21, and this time it is also for the choir director. And the theme is God's blessings to the King. The King rejoices in your strength, O Lord, but how much more does he rejoice in your salvation? You have granted him all that he desires and have not withheld any good thing from him. You shower him with the blessings of your goodness. You have placed a crown of gold upon his head. He asks that you preserve his life 
and that is what you gave him, length of days in a long life. You gave him many victories, the glory of his kingship, and gave him honour and majesty in the eyes of the people. You have given him many blessings from heaven and made him supremely happy in your holy presence. The king has utmost trust in the Lord, and through God's unfailing mercy, he shall not be shaken. Your enemies cannot hide from you, for the arm of your power will reveal those who hate you when you shall be seen in the heaven. They shall be as coals in the fire of your anger, for the Lord shall make them as nothing when he devours them with the fire of his wrath. Their descendants shall meet their eternal death in their day. Their children will no more be found among the people of the earth, for they set out to live wickedly in defiance of you, and their evil plans all failed at last. Therefore, you will make them turn around to face you as you prepare to shoot the arrows of your bow at them. You shall be exalted, O Lord, in your own strength. We will always sing praises to you for your great power.